Church and politics. The Christian and the political landscape that we live in today. Um, what is our role? What's our responsibility? What does the Bible say about it? And how can we participate in what's happening on the world stage today without looking like the Westboro Baptist Church? Without going too far over the edge, but at the same time, not being passive and non-aggressive in, in what we do. Um, there's, when you say the word politics, I'll say it like this. When you say the word politics, immediately something comes to mind. Something comes to mind for everyone. Like we have word association. Like if I were to say chocolate cake, boom, I just lost most of y'all in here. If I were to say birthday parties, you would immediately begin to associate your experience with birthday parties to what you would call a birthday party, whether it was good or bad. Whether or not you got the pony for your birthday that you wanted or not, you know, whether you got the G.I. Joe or the Transformer that you wanted or not, or whether or not everything went perfect or not, you would associate that. When we say the word politics, we associate a lot of stuff, and a lot of times it's negative. A lot of times there's a, a real negative connotation to the word politics, especially in the culture that we live in today. When I say politics, most people are going to think scandal. Most people are going to think lies. Most people are going to think dishonest or insincere. You know, most people are immediately going to associate, I did not have sex with that woman, Lewinsky. You're going to go back in time, and you're going to associate with that. There's a negative connotation with the word politics today, especially in our culture today, because we are so divided right now as a country, guys. We are so divided as a country. Like before, it used to be if you had an opinion on something or you disagreed with somebody or you liked a candidate and another person liked a different candidate, you could talk about it and talk about issues and, 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 and have a discussion or you know, and go cast your vote and, and settle the disagreement. And, but today, it doesn't work like that. It's not like we can have a discussion about it or you can have your opinion or you can have my opinion. Now, there's like this huge chasm that separates two polarized viewpoints. And if you're on my side, we're good. But if you're on the other side, you're the enemy. Like, there is no middle ground. There's like team A and team B. There is no middle ground um, in the culture that we're in today. It's polarizing. It's polarizing quickly today. You guys are seeing that happen? Uh, it's polarizing very quickly. See, just me even talking about politics to the extent that I have just done in this service, I'm looking at you guys, and some of y'all are like looking at the floor, looking at the ceiling, because this is a topic that makes people unavoidable. Some of y'all are probably like, or make people uncomfortable. Some of y'all are probably like, Pastor Josh, I wish you would just go back in time and start talking about homosexuality or something like that. I wish today could be a day about how to have the talk with your child about the birds and the bees or something like that. Something that would be less awkward than talking about politics because our culture is so polarized because of this topic. But it doesn't have to be that way. And this can be a conversation that we can have in church today, and it happened in a safe place, and I think we can get a lot accomplished because there is a role that we're supposed to play in politics and in that cycle in our world, and there are guidelines given to us in Scripture, and the questions were, how can we, how can we operate in that and be effective without compromising or going too far in the other direction and just being real militaristic in, in our approach? The word politics... In its, like its in original conception, 
the, the whole system, the whole idea came up in the Greek culture. And um, it comes from a, a root word called polis. Polis means city. Not just city, but it means more like a city-state. Polis, metropolis, polis, city, city-state. Um, if you were a citizen of a city or a city-state, you were called a polotis. A polotis was, in that culture, considered a citizen of a city, but not just someone who lived there, but if you were a citizen, you were a person who had a responsibility to that city or that culture in which you lived. So you weren't just there to have a free ride. They expected you to participate and be involved in, in what was happening if you lived there. So the word politics, as we know it, is kind of a combo of those two. It's the art of living together as a community out of responsibility for the community. That's what politics in its original form, is supposed to mean. Now, we've come a long way. Do you guys think that that's a working definition for politics today? Oh, no. No. You know why? Because there's no drama in that statement. There's no mudslinging in that statement. There's no agenda in that statement. There's no opinion in that statement. It's just, hey, we need to come together to work together because we're a part of this community. We need to work together to figure out how to solve the issues that we're going to face and work on the problems that we're going to face together as a community because we're in the same boat together. That was the original intent behind it. And in, in, in society... You see this polarizing happening now because it's not about us working together to solve issues together. It's about I want my way, and this is how I think things need to be done. And the other side is no, we want our way, and this is how we think things need to be done. And there's no middle ground, and there's no working together. We're just trying to impose our will and our belief systems on the other group. And there's just friction. There's just conflict. This happening in our country today. And you even see that um, in, in the church because there's like two extremes that I've seen in church world and very few people that land on, on, a, on a middle ground or a correct viewpoint. Like on one extreme, you've got the people that are just really passive and don't want anything to do with anything political or community involvement in any way. They don't want anything to do with it. They think the world is over-politicized, and I agree with that. I think the world is probably way over-politicized. And they feel like the church should have no voice at all in politics, that political issues or, or problems or social issues shouldn't be addressed from the pulpit. They feel like it should not even be talked about. These people think, I, I just don't want anything to do with that. Like they would just rather bury their head in the sand like an ostrich, just straight up plant and pretend like the world doesn't exist and just live in their own bubble and function. Then you've got another extreme that you see in, in church circles where you've got guys that just, they, they go way too far with it. They're way too involved in the political process. Like, there is no middle ground. It's like, that's all they ever talk about. Like, if you talk about anything, they're going to grab the subject and turn it, and, tr and it's going to gravitate back to some kind of political issue. It's like that friend you, you had in high school that finally got that new car, and all they talked about was a new car. Man, you got to see my new car. 
man, the paint is perfect on my new car. The stereo is awesome on my new car. My new car is this. My new car, this smells so good. My new car will outrace your car. I guarantee, like, all they talk about is their new car. And, like, six or eight weeks later, you're like, bro, we get it. You got a new car. Let's talk about anything else. Or, like, the girl that got a new boyfriend. And all she's talking about is my boyfriend. Like, you can't have a conversation. Hey, did you go see the movie? Yeah, the movie was great. Hey, I got to go see a movie with my boyfriend the other day. My boyfriend is so awesome. His eyes sparkle. He's got this little, when he smiles, there's this little bit of light that catches on his teeth, and birds begin to sing, my boyfriend this and my boyfriend that. And she's excited about the boyfriend. And, and my boyfriend, and, you know, when he walks, he's got this little giddy up in his step, and it's as cute as can be. And you can't talk about anything because everything gravitates back to the boyfriend. Or everything gravitates back to the new car. And, and it's not just like the way that they dominate conversation or, or dominate the topic like that. Like their whole world goes through this filter of political viewpoints and political talking points. And it's not just so much the over, like the volume of it, but it's the tone that's involved too. Because you should be able to talk about issues. Amen? You ought to be able to talk about issues. You ought to be able to talk about politics. You ought to be able to do those things. But the tone, the tone, most of the people that get off in this, it's like there's an inevitable line that's out there that they have to cross or their tone and, and just their overall demeanor towards people. It, it, they just take like this negative point of view with the world. Have you seen people like that? They watch way, 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 way too much 24-hour news. And that's their whole world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying there's got to be a way for the church to find some middle ground on this. Where we take the group that wants nothing to do with this and the group that's just way, 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 way too eager to dive into this with the wrong, kind of the wrong uh, tone about it and bring them together and find some, not so much middle ground, maybe balance is a better word, because I believe that both sides have valid points, and both sides are applicable to life. Um, I believe you can take some of both and put them together, because there's sometimes that you just need to be quiet in a conversation. And then there's sometimes that you need to speak up and not be quiet. I think you've got to find a balance between the two. Amen? Amen. Y'all with me so far? Um, there should be a balance in there somewhere. And, and people are trying to, they, they, they try to figure out how, how, how can, can we be like in the world and not of the world. And, and Jesus kind of addressed this issue. We're going to dive into some scripture. John 17 Verse 14, y'all got to pray for me this morning. I've had this bad cold going on the last few days, and it is messing with your pastor. But I'm going to preach the word this morning. Amen? We're going to do this. John 17, verse 14, um, Jesus is talking to his or praying over his disciples, and his heart comes out in this prayer. He says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. We're not of this world. But then Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. So he's saying, 
here that they've got to be in the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world because I want them in the world, but they're not really of the world at the same time. So as Christians, we've got to find a way to be in the world, but at the same time not be of the world. How can we be in it and not be of it? How can we find a way to be involved in what's happening, but at the same time not become affected by all the drama and all the stuff that we see in political circles? Um, One of the best, one of the absolute best examples I've ever seen on this is found in the game of football. I heard a guy talk about this, and it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Football's kicking off. I love college football. You guys love college football? Y'all like football in general? Some of y'all do. Connor, I'm going to throw you a ball. Come on, catch it. There you go. Good job. Hit me back. That's what I'm talking about. I love football. Being in the world and not of the world is kind of a tricky thing, especially in the political landscape in our culture today. Now, you've got, on any given Sunday um, in the NFL, two teams will play each other, and they don't like each other. They absolutely don't like each other. So, Pastor Jeremy, if you will, come on up and help me. Pastor Brad, if you will, come on up. So, Pastor Jeremy's going to be Team A, and Pastor Brad's going to be Team B, all right? Pastor Jeremy's job is to take this football, and on the count of three, he's going to run as hard as he can and try to plow over Pastor Brad. Pastor Brad's job is to get down and dirty and put Pastor Jeremy on his backside. Now, who's on, who's on Team Jeremy? Don't show them my spandex. Now, who's on Team Brad? That's what I'm saying. We got some defensive guys in here. We got some defensive guys in here. Offense and defense. Now, these two teams are never going to get along with each other. When he's got the ball, he's trying to score. His job is to stop him. When Brad gets the ball, he's trying to score. Jeremy's job is to try to stop him. There's no getting along. So we're going to see which team is the better team this morning. Okay? Now, get ready to cheer for your team. On the count of three, I'm going to want you to cheer for your team. You cheer for your team. Some of you are like, oh, my gosh, is this really going to happen? We're about to find out. Okay? You're going to cheer for your team. On the count of three, let me hear y'all start cheering. Come on, let's get into it. Cheering for your team. On the count of three, we're going to go. Team A is going to go for Team B. Here we go. One, two. Wait a minute. There's a third team involved on the field, too. And that's the officials. Now, Team A and Team B are never going to get along. They're always in opposition to each other. Team A and Team B, on Sundays when they play, they represent their franchises. Okay? Team A's franchise, Team B's franchise. There's a third team involved, though, and it's the officials. The officials don't represent the franchise at all. The officials represent a third team called the NFL. 
Okay? Now, Team A and Team B are going to play together on the field. Their struggle is on the field. The crowd gets involved around what's happening on the field. On the field creates drama. On the field creates talking points. On the field gives jobs to everybody at ESPN. On the field creates this whole world of busyness on the field. But an official's job is to be on the field, but not of the field. These guys are representing their franchise, but the official is representing the NFL. The franchises, listen to me now, the franchises belong to the kingdom of the NFL. Whether they want to or not, they have to answer to the rules and the guidelines established by the people in the offices in New York City who say a team can do this, but they can't do that. A team can do this, but they can't do that. You can pay people this much money, but not that much money. There's a code of conduct that you have to operate by, and if a player does not do this, then they get penalized and will enforce it. The franchises are subject to the kingdom of the NFL. The official's job is to represent the larger kingdom of the NFL and not get caught up in the competition between the teams and not get caught up in the cheers of the crowd, but to be on the field and not of the field and to legislate the rule book that governs the game. Are you with me? Now, listen, there are two polarized viewpoints in this country right now. You've got the conservatives way over here, and you've got the liberals way over here, and the middle ground between the two is quickly disappearing Two teams, if you will, that are competing against each other to have solid ground in this country. But there's a third team, guys. There's a third team, and we're part of it, and it's called the church. And our job is to be in this world and involved in what's happening, but not caught up in what's happening. We're here to legislate. We're here to bring the rule book into play and to represent the kingdom of our God. To not get caught up in the game of life, but to be separate from it and represent the kingdom of God on this earth. Let's give these guys a hand for helping out this morning. So, if there's a separation there, and there's a role that the church has to play, this is big. This is big because we're here representing a kingdom that's eternal in a world that's temporary. And we have to keep that perspective in mind because all of the things that we get passionate about, passionate about in this world is going to pass away. Now, I'm not saying that the things aren't legitimate, and I'm not saying that they're not important, but we have to approach what happens in this world from the perspective of the kingdom that we represent and know that the kingdom that we represent is eternal but all the drama, all the stuff that we see, all the political back and forth, all of that stuff that we see, that is a temporary thing that's not going to last forever. Our job is to represent the kingdom and to make sure that we are representing the principles of the word of God in society today and how we approach issues and how we vote and how we communicate with other people, we have to make sure that we represent the kingdom of God. Joshua, when he was getting ready to attack Jericho, had a really cool experience with an angel. In Joshua uh, chapter 5, 
Verse 13, this little encounter is recorded. Joshua was talking to this angel. When he was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked him, are you for us or our enemies? And the angel said, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua said, are you on our side or are you on their side? And the angel said, I'm on nobody's side. I'm on the side of God. I'm on the side of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that I represent. Joshua said, hey, are you here to help us? And the guy said, I'm here, but I didn't come to choose sides. I came here to take over. That's what the angel said. I'm here to take over and dominate for the kingdom that I represent. Listen, church, it's time for us to adopt the mindset that we don't get caught up in the mudslinging and the back and forth and the name calling or in the little political talking points that come out from this world to try to sway public opinion. We have got to stay fixed on our calling and not get caught up in the game and realize that we represent the kingdom of God, not Fox News, not CNN, not a Democrat, not a Republican. We represent the kingdom of God. And it's time for us to come in and take over, to take over. I'm not choosing sides. I came to bring healing. I came to bring restoration. I came to bring hope. I came to bring the presence of God. I came to let you know about the Jesus that I serve because he is the answer for every issue that you see on TV. He is the solution for every problem. And the big big problem with this world right now is that you have one team representing here and one team representing here but you don't see that third team representing the kingdom like it should be because we're getting caught up in the game guys it's time to get our heads out of the game and get focused on our calling and get about doing the work of the kingdom that we belong to He said, I'm on nobody's side. I'm on the side of the kingdom of God. We have to establish that first. We've got to establish that first. Because if we don't have that perspective as a church and as a Christian, we'll buy into the lies and the distractions and get off point and miss out on the greater mission that we're called to. Amen? Amen. A lot of people will be shocked to realize that Jesus doesn't really represent a donkey and Jesus really doesn't represent an elephant. Neither one of them. He represents his own kingdom. Yeah, a little bit. About preach my voice out. <coughs> he represents his own kingdom. Thank you. And we've got to remember that. He represents his own kingdom. Because as a Christian, our decision-making and our actions must first go through the filter of biblical truth. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And a lot of times, we as Christians are guilty of getting swayed by talking points and manipulated by agendas because we're not grounded in the principles of biblical truth. It's not about liberal or conservatism. It's about what does the Bible say. Because that has to 
dictate my decision-making process and my actions and how I vote and how I'm involved in the world that I live in. So we have to represent our kingdom. And we have to take everything through the filter of biblical truth. Not our opinions, not what we feel like, not what we think might be right or might be wrong. The Bible is very clear. And there is not one social issue that is happening outside the doors of this church that the Bible does not speak to. There's not one problem that's out there in society that the Bible does not have a solution for. Every one of them is right there. It's our job to interject that into what the world is talking about today. It's got to come from biblical truth. Amen? Amen? So there are some greater principles that are found in the Word of God that should kind of, I guess, filter out our response and how we interact with what's happening in the world some biblical principles. Here's some first one. The first one is this. Um, we've got to be responsible in our culture. As a Christian, the Bible states, I'm not going to give you chapter and verse all this because we'd be here till Wednesday talking about this stuff. But in general, the Bible encourages us to be responsible in our culture. What does that mean? That means we need to know what's going on. That means that we need to know what's going on. We need to know what's happening in culture outside the walls of this church. That means we need to know what's going on in the world outside of our Bible studies, outside of our small groups. We need to know the issues that are happening in the world. Social, like what's happening with social issues here in our county, in our state, in our country, What's happening globally? We need to know what's going on with those things. Why is that important? Because cultural issues, cultural issues give us a platform to interject a biblical worldview. Because for every issue out there, there's a solution that's found in the Word of God. And when we know what's going on, we're able to speak into situations relevantly as a Christian, and relevantly as a church. I think the big problem, a big problem with a lot of church circles is that they are answering questions that people outside the walls of the church aren't asking. They just can't connect culturally. They can't connect socially with people. And the church is missing a huge opportunity to reach people where they are. When you look at, at what Jesus did, Jesus was always reaching people where they were. But a lot of people don't know that Jesus, when he was talking and teaching, he addressed a ton of social issues that the people were dealing with in their culture of that day. There was one specific occasion where Jesus, like the Pharisees, were asking him a question about paying taxes or paying tithes to the temple. But the whole deal was set on, uh, and the, what was happening politically was there was a new tax that was just implemented by the Roman Empire. And it was a huge deal because they were literally taxing people to breathe air. If you are standing on Roman ground, you are breathing Roman air. And so everybody has to pay a be alive tax is pretty much what it was. That sounds like something we'd expect to see here in America, right? Y'all breathing air? Yeah, it should be an air tax. Here kind of is. 
It kind of is. So everybody was going crazy about that. Jesus spoke to that directly, though, and was able to promote the kingdom of God by speaking into social issues. It's very important uh, to be responsible in the culture. What's the other thing we need to do? Not just be aware of what's happening. We've got to get out and vote, people. We've got to get out and vote. Now, I'm going to tell you which way to vote, other than just to say we should be voting the Bible every time, without exception. If you're one of those people that just walk into the voting booth and you just vote 100% Democrat or 100% Republican, and you're ignorant, really, of the issues and the policies or the platforms of the candidate, shame on you. You need to know what they're representing and how that lines up with the Bible. A lot of times we get caught up in the mudslinging and we look at candidates. Because here's what happens in political election times. Y'all see what happens. Y'all see what happens. Y'all see the hate ads. Y'all see the mudslinging. Well, did you know so-and-so is running for governor? No, so-and-so didn't feed their dog twice last month. If they don't love their dog, how can we trust them to run our state? You know, stupid stuff like that that comes up. And some of it is relevant, but the, the political system has learned that we operate in Jerry Springer world as a society. And that people in general don't pay attention to issues. They live in an emotional level, and so they, they, they attack candidates. And they make elections about candidates and not about policies not about platforms, and not about laws. That's what we need to be paying attention to. We've got to educate ourselves and vote on policies, to vote on the platforms of the candidates. Because here's what's the big deal. The candidate is a figurehead. The candidate represents a larger agenda that's behind them called their policies and platform. And there's a lot of people involved in making that happen. Not just the person that you vote in. You're voting in policies. You're voting in laws. You're not voting in a person. The system is way bigger than one person. Now, I'm not saying that character doesn't matter because it does matter. And I would love to see a 100% sold-out, on-fire Christian in every office in our country. I'd love to see it. Odds are, though, that's not going to happen because everybody in our country is not a Christian. All right. So what we have to do is pick the candidate that is going to most closely represent or pick the policies that's going to most closely represent what the Bible says on how we should conduct ourselves and how we should govern ourselves. That just makes sense, right? Don't get caught up in the name calling. They try to create Jerry Springer stuff. Don't get caught up in that. Make wise decisions after having educated yourself because you have an obligation from Scripture, to be responsible in the culture in which you live in. You have an obligation. Amen? No? Amen? Y'all with me? Y'all with me, or y'all thinking about barbecue after service? Y'all got to help me. Your pastor's not feeling good this morning. Y'all got to help push me through this, all right? Y'all with me? Yeah. All right. So, responsible for the culture that we live in. The second thing from Scripture a Christian should be doing is praying. We need to be prayerful for our country. Prayerful for our country. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Some of y'all can quote this. This is a powerful scripture. Powerful, powerful scripture. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. 
We need to pray for our country, church. We need to pray for our country. And not just when it's raining and not just when it's gloom and doom, but when the sun is shining and we've got the people in office that we want and we think everything's going okay. We need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for our leaders. See, we're real good sometimes in church world about complaining about stuff. And we'll complain, I don't like the pastor. I don't like the fact that Josh got up and preached when he wasn't feeling good. He should have had somebody else get up there. I, don't, I didn't like the acoustic worship. Then we'll complain about stuff. I, I, you know what? I don't like the way they're running Douglas County. I don't like the stuff that they're voting on. I don't like the way this country is going. But have you taken time to pray for your leadership? Because you don't get to complain about it if you're not praying for the solution or if you're not participating in the process to get the solution that we want. Anybody can complain about something. Anybody can complain about something. We're called to pray for the people in office. I, I just, I, hmm, I, I, I won't get too mean on this, but I'll just tell you, man, we've got to pray. Does you no good at all to complain if you're not praying? Because at the end of the day, that person that's in that office, listen to this. The president whether you like him or not, whether it's this one or one's past or the ones we're going to have in the future, when they die, they're going to stand before God and give an account for their lives, okay? They need to know Jesus just as much as the crack dealer on the corner down here needs to know Jesus. We should be just as concerned about their spiritual well-being as anybody else. And a lot of times as a church, we buy into the talking points, and we buy into the mudslinging, and we forget that the person in office is actually a person who's in office, who's going to spend eternity somewhere, who needs a church to be praying for them like the Bible instructs us to. Amen? So we can't lose sight of that. It's easy to, to see people as figureheads and forget that they're people. We need to be a church that's praying, but we also need to remember, too, that there is absolutely no way we are going to be able to pray away biblical prophecy. No way we're going to be able to do it. So while we are called to pray for our officials to have wisdom, and we are called to pray for the overall spiritual well-being of our country and for what's happening in this world, we're, we're absolutely commanded by Scripture to do that as people of God. We also know the big picture. We know where this world's going to be headed. We know where this world's going. We know eventually, socially, and on a global scale, there's going to have to be some kind of crazy crisis or a number of crises that will take place in order to open up the door for the Antichrist to come in and take his position of power. So we know eventually this world's going to have to lose its freaking mind. We know eventually the systems that are in place are going to have to implode so this guy can come in. We know that's going to happen. Um, we know that overall society as a whole is going to begin to lose its heart for God and begin to drift away in order for end-time prophecy and what we read in Scripture about the end days and the people's attitudes and hearts to take place. But when we look around it as a church and see this stuff happening, we don't need to complain about it or point it out. We need to recognize what's happening. You realize why the world's heart is turning cold? Because the Bible says the heart of many will turn cold in the last days. That's why. Why are we getting upset at people when they're just fulfilling biblical prophecy? 
I think sometimes we get upset at people and we don't realize that they're just sinners doing what sinners do. I got a kid that I'm potty training right now or trying to. Abby still goes number one and number two in her pants. I don't get to do that as an adult. It's not socially acceptable, but she's a kid doing what a kid does. The world is doing what the world does, and we can't get jaded in our approach to them as a church because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Amen? Um, another thing we've got to remember, just in, in, in line with that, is that we've got to, as a church, we have got to love like Jesus loves. We've got to love like Jesus loves. So we've got to be involved in what's happening. We've got to remember to, to pray for these people instead of complaining about these people. And we've got to love like Jesus loves. Matthew chapter 5 says it like this. This is Jesus. He's a hard guy to dispute. Verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's got to be a typo. That can't be right. Anybody else have that, like on your tablet or in your Bible? Does it read just like that? That's insane. Love your neighbor, I tell you. Well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? We can't forget as a church that we're called to love people whether they agree with us or not. We are called to love people whether they vote the same way we do or not. We're called to love people if they spit in our face or not. Love has to be the motive in our interaction with people in the world. The church has kind of gotten away from that because we bought into talking points instead of standing on scriptural truth. We're supposed to operate in love towards other people. Well, aren't we supposed to speak the truth? Yeah. But the Bible says to speak the truth in what? Love. Speaking the truth in love. Jesus said that they would know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love this world. Um, we're supposed to. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that we can't have an opinion. That doesn't mean that we can't draw a line in the sand and say, I get where you're coming from. But this is what I believe, and this is where I stand. Respectfully, I disagree with you, and it doesn't have to go any further than that because there's a prejudice that's out there in church world right now. And when we think prejudice, we think skin color. Well, I'm prejudiced against you because you're white. Well, I'm prejudiced against you because you're black. Or I don't like you because you're Hispanic or you're Indian. I, I don't like you. I don't like you because you got red hair, and red-headed people are crazy. You know, I, I don't like you because we think prejudicial things based on how we see people externally. But there's an internal prejudice in existence in the church based on our preferences and our opinions. And if people line up with what we think and how we feel, we like them. But if they don't, 
We're resistant to them. And in a real way, we're prejudiced against them because of their sexual preference, because of how they vote, because they may or may not agree with us on a biblical point. We're prejudiced against that. And I think that's heinous. I think that's heinous. I think if you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't operate that way. You remember that? Well, I don't know. Maybe he did. You remember that verse of scripture where there was a bunch of like uh, sinners and tax collectors and a bunch of drunks together and they were having a party and Jesus was out on the street corner and he was yelling at them and he was like, hey, y'all, y'all inside there. I know what you're doing. Sorry, tax collectors. We know you're cheating. All y'all are going to hell. Every one of you. You guys are in there drinking too much. I know you're going to get hammered tonight. You know that's a sin. Jesus was out there calling them out. And he said, all y'all sinners, all you gluttons in there, y'all need to get right with God. You need to repent. All of you are going to hell. Every one of you, if you don't change. You remember Jesus doing that? He was actually inside having dinner with them. He was hanging out with them. In fact, the religious leaders, what did they call Jesus? They called him a what? A friend of sinners? They called him a drunkard and a glutton? A friend of tax collectors? He was seen as friendly to people, listen to this now, who were in stark opposite representation of the kingdom that Jesus was there to represent. But his interaction with them was from a platform of love. And Jesus had a way of taking people who were far away from God and grabbing them and bringing them in through love, through relevant relation and love. Did Jesus ever compromise who he was? Did Jesus ever stop preaching the word of God? No. But he was able to reach people from a platform of love, and that's what we're called to do as a church. So ask yourself this. It's my filter and my interaction with people. Is it first love or is it first my opinion? Is it first love or is it first the way that I feel about a certain thing that they might be doing? Is it first love? It doesn't say that you have to agree with them. I might say that you can't even have a discussion with them on, 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 your, on, on what the Bible says and speak into their lives because Jesus did that all the time. But is love your first motive because that's what's missing in a lot of circles in the church and that's what I see missing in the lives and interaction with Christians with other people when it comes to political issues is love your first motive we have to ask ourselves a big 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 question is it really worth winning the argument if you lose the relationship is it really worth winning the argument if you lose the relationship we like to be really big on winning the argument. But we don't realize that we're losing the relationship. And politically, the church in a lot of circles, they're, they're trying to win an argument, but they're losing the relationship. They're shutting the door on themselves to be able to reach the culture that we live in today. Because their platform is not a platform of love. I'm not talking about overall agreeing with sin you guys get what i'm saying right because i know i'm going to get emails or questions but i'm not saying you sell out your belief system i'm saying we operate towards people from love 
love, love out of a relationship with Jesus. It's not worth winning the argument if you lose a relationship. If you looked at your social media feed, would you see truth in love? Or would you see a recycling of political talking points in your news feed? Would you see, see, it's, it's quiet in here. Maybe this is a good kind of quiet this morning. Would you see, would you see, this is what I believe, and here's why I believe it, and I love you, and God loves you. Or would you see words like libtard, or would you see conservative stiffs, or would you see an, like a, a mockery of a people group in order to make a point? Because what we don't realize is the churches, we make the point, and we might win an argument, but we lose a relationship. We might lose a relationship. One of the biggest mistakes I've seen the church make in, in recent years is demonizing the homosexual community. Um, and I'm not saying that that's right. If you, if you got questions on that, you should listen to the message that we had a few weeks ago on that very topic and how the church should respond. I thought it was a really good representation of Scripture. But the church tends to demonize people groups and demonize political groups because of what they believe. And let me ask you a question. If we mock them and we make fun of them, how are we ever going to lead them to Jesus? You see, we're shutting the door on ourselves a lot of times. Shutting the door on ourselves a lot of times. And I'm not saying you can't say what you believe, but I'm saying take strong consideration in how you represent yourself and how you represent your belief system. It's got to come from a platform of love. And social media doesn't automatically, it's like social media doesn't have a filter where biblical principles don't apply to it. You got to operate in love on that thing too. Amen? All right. Um, why is that important? Because we've got to reach our world for Jesus, guys. We've got to reach our world for Jesus. So we've got to be responsible in our culture. We've got to make sure that we're praying for our country. We've got to make sure that we're ministering to people from a platform of love. And we've got to keep that in perspective because we're trying to reach this world for Jesus. Remember, there's Team A, and then there's Team B, and then there's Team Jesus. We're on Team Jesus. We're about His business. We're about reaching the lost. We're called to be salt and light to this world, not get caught up in the trappings of what's happening. So if we're going to reach this world for Jesus, we have got to be wise in what we do. Think about this. Our entire world was changed in 2001 when two planes flew into a couple of buildings. The way we travel was changed. The way the world operates was changed because of 19 individuals who sold out 100% to their cause. Because of 19 individuals who were willing to make a sacrifice for what they believe in. The most powerful nation in the world was brought to a halt and the gears of the world came to a stop because of the actions of 19 people. And the world spotlight went on a religious group like it never has before 
because of the actions of 19 people. I wonder what the church could do if we got on fire for Jesus Christ and got about the, about the mission that he has called us to. That if we stop getting caught up and especially in the political world, on, on the talking points and the mudslinging and operated from a responsible place of prayer and love with a motive of bringing biblical principle into light into cultural issues, what kind of impact we could have. Because I think if we got on fire for God and we got, we got involved, we could make a huge impact, not by flying planes into buildings, not by acts of terrorism. But isn't it a travesty? When what we know to be a false religion gets all the attention, when we have the answer that the world is looking for, when we hold the answers, the solutions to all the problems that is ripping this world apart at its fabric, that's dividing our country, we the church hold all of those answers and His name is Jesus and the Word of God. We've got it all. We've got it all. But we've got to engage We've got to be prayerful. We've got to do it in love. We can't forget the greater mission that we're called to. If 2% of this country can redefine what we call marriage because of how loud they were, because of how aggressive they were, and because they refused to be silenced by a country that didn't want to hear them, can you imagine what the church could do if we caught that kind of passion? Could you imagine what we could do if we caught that kind of intensity. Engaging in political process changes culture. It changes society. There's a third team, and it's time for that third team to step up and do what God has called us to do. Amen? Stand to your feet as we close in prayer this morning.